0: Okay, you ready? I'm ready. Hello, and welcome to episode 11 of Jeff Brazier Only Human, my open and honest podcast, where we can talk and ask questions about what's working in our lives and what we're finding difficult. So, this podcast is all about doing that, saying out loud what we're finding tough and sharing advice and tips on the things that are helping removing the expectations we put on ourselves and taking every day one step at a time. This week's episode is all about family and relationships. I've taken a lot of your questions and I'm going to be speaking from personal experience as always, but this is all about you. It's all about your questions and I really look forward to getting started.
1: This is from Anne-Marie. I'm wondering if you'd consider doing a podcast around blended families, as I know you've experienced this firsthand. We're a blended family, and sometimes I feel stuck between my daughter and partner. I've spent a lot of time discussing the teenage brain and the fact that it can last up to the age of 25 with my partner, and he's taken this on. He doesn't have children of his own. Like you, I had my daughter quite young when I was 20, so I don't feel like there's that massive generational gap.
0: Ah, oh, Marie, what a subject to get me started on. I mean, this is um, this is a, a, a daily kind of um, consideration for us in our house because everybody has the right to be validated and considered and respected. Um, it's it, blended families are really really tricky um, because you know you've got my wife, for example, who is an only child, um, and doesn't have children of her own. So she will obviously see things from a certain point of view. Whereas when you are a parent and have been from a young age um, and have got a few years experience at it, I guess, you know, your viewpoints will not always match. So you will never see eye to eye necessarily. For me, it's about finding compromises, but something I just wanted to refer to because, you know, yeah, I know kids might have a, a, a teenage brain until they're 25, but I wouldn't look for excuses for our kids and their behavior because ultimately they are entitled to make mistakes. They're entitled to be annoying. They're entitled to do things that literally make you think, are you mad? Like, did you not hear me say that this is a new sofa and you are not allowed to leave hair all over? Or that's a new stair runner And it's beige, so you're not allowed to wear your shoes up the stairs. So you can tell that these are two things that that we're definitely talking about a lot at the moment. And, you know, at times they they just seem completely rude and uninterested by how much something costs you and how much you'd like to keep it nice because it doesn't occur to them. It's just not part of their, their agenda or how they see the world. But that is also not the full picture. So somewhere in amongst kids being kids the step parent uh, being particular about how things are left and you know how they want the environment to be that everybody has to share you know we as the buffer as you said which I think is really good term to use we have to kind of make sure that everybody is heard this is how I do it simple guidelines towards the basics for the kids so they know what they can and what they can't do they also know that if they step outside of that then there will be something taken away. There'll be an inconvenience bestowed upon them that will be exactly that, inconvenient. And it's really important that I do that because then Kate feels like, right, well, there are some boundaries and people are going to respect what I'm doing. They are respecting the environment and what we're working hard to pay for. Uh, And as a result, I think that's what keeps everything ticking away nicely. But kids, they are going to make mistakes. It's part of their development, actually. But it's really important and useful to them that they experience that when you do say it wrong that there's usually a repercussion for that because that's the way that life works it's the way that their careers will work and if we don't have those boundaries and those guidelines at home then not only are we not really helping our kids in that respect um, but we're also in a blended family specifically we're probably making the the partner feel like uh, this is difficult for me to live in this environment where I feel like the, the way that I want things isn't being respected and everything that I'm putting into the equation isn't being isn't being appreciated. And and I think we all need to feel appreciated. So it so needs to be um, that balance. But look, for all uh, parents of kids out there that are doing it in a blended family, I completely get it. Yeah. I, I Do you know what? Something I really encourage Kate to do, and i make this point as well, is that Don't always come to me with, oh, you know, this isn't right, or that's not being done, or that's out of order. And and actually to encourage them to to have that communication with the kids themselves. Otherwise, it's kind of like the kids with me standing in front of them and your partner standing behind you. And actually what it needs to be is where the partner kind of moves around. And whilst they're never going to be able to discipline the kids the way that you do, they absolutely are entitled to turn around and say, Don't walk up the stairs with shoes on or you're wrong for doing that. Basically, we need to empower the the partners to be able to uh, earn the respect of the kids. Uh, I think that's vital. They need to have a a relationship with them. They need to have an open dialogue uh, with the children about their own boundaries and their own kind of expectations. But again, another conversation is about making sure that those expectations are realistic and fair. And if the expectations of the partner are fair and if the the kids have got the basic guidelines so they know what they can and can't do, and if me, the parent, um, make sure that that things are stuck to or that there's repercussions if they don't, then I think that that is how you keep a balance in a blended house. There's so much to this subject. We could do a whole podcast on it. Um, I hope that that's enough, Anne-Marie.
1: This is from Vicky. I'm extremely content with my life. I've got an amazing relationship with my husband, successful business, lovely home, two amazing girls who my life is built around. But the eldest is almost 18 and the youngest is at secondary school and is out the door from 7.30 in the morning till 7 o'clock at night. And she goes to school clubs on a Saturday. I feel I'm becoming redundant.
0: Yeah interesting one Vicky because my children are 16 and 17 so uh, I understand what this phase looks like of where we go from or went from being there all and everything to actually not being needed quite as much. Um, I, I think labels are important in terms of Ever been redundant? We're we're never redundant. We always play a role. And and actually, before we even had children, the path was always going to be like this. So um, it's always interesting to me how we somehow forgot that and um, somehow got so used to being needed that we kind of made our whole entire purpose in life to, to cater for our kids. So I feel like I've done that um, for for 12 years, but I can absolutely feel it easing back. And actually, I don't know whether this is a difference between mums and dads, but I sort of am embracing it, if you like. You know, I really miss the times when it was all cute and they used to sort of come up and and want cuddles all the time and and it was only ever adulation and and, uh, and love. Uh, Obviously, that really changes, doesn't it? But there are relevant phases in our life. I know that the phase that you're heading into, like myself really, is what might be uncomfortable is that, right, actually now we've got to start thinking about ourselves and we've got to think about who we are. And we know who we've been, but actually that identity has almost been sort of stripped away a little bit. Um, And that's what I feel like you're describing to me, Vicky. So what's your identity going to be now? You'll always be mum, but just you're you're not going to be needed to the extent Um, You'll be needed in different ways. And all of the hard work that you've put in will actually now be playing out in the way that they behave and the way that they view the world and, you know, how they interact with it. Um, So, you know, you've done the hard bit. This is the bit where you get to sort of just sit back and, and admire what they're becoming. But yeah, it's it's all to do with us, isn't it? It's what what is my purpose now? And it's the fact that, oh, right, I'm going to have to change a little bit because uh, what used to occupy me doesn't anymore. I've now got X amount of hours in a day that I now need to find something else to do. And for a lot of people, that's uncomfortable. What are you apart from being a mum? And if you haven't got an answer to that question, then that, this is the perfect time for you to start actually evaluating well what am i interested in what am i passionate about uh what would i like to do a little bit more of is it that if you haven't already got a job that you get one is it that you maybe take a voluntary role doing something is it that you start thinking about what the next 10 20 years are going to look like for you now you've got a lot more time on your hands um i think it's exciting we get sort of caught like a rabbit in the headlights it's like what just happened the last kid of the bunch, going off to secondary school and and spending you know time at after school clubs and stuff, and all of a sudden it's like, Ooh, I didn't see this coming. You know, try and embrace it. You have to have a really good think about who you are, what you want to be, and and just you know, I, I'm excited for you, but it doesn't mean that you're any less important to your kids. Uh, it just means that the role that you play. Is altering, and that was always the path ahead. That was always what was going to happen. The option potentially to you is that you can just have another one and go through it all again. Uh, if if that's too drastic uh, and that's not part of your your plans, um, then you've got to be comfortable or learn to be more comfortable with choosing how to spend uh, your own time. But good luck doing that, Vicky. We're a community, so if you have any advice or solutions, let me know and I'll share in a future episode. The email is jeff at onlyhumanpod.com.
1: This is from Charlotte. What's the best lesson you've taught your children on inner happiness and how to achieve it?
0: The best lesson that I've taught my children is one that I'm teaching them on a daily basis, and that is to just concentrate on yourself and be a role model. And... You know, strive to better yourself, Um, you know, develop in front of them, explain what you're working on, um, show your vulnerabilities, um, let them know what, you know, you think is undesirable about you that you would like to actually improve somehow. Let them in on your wins, you know, no matter how small they are and celebrate them in front of them so that they know that it's good to validate yourself. They are literally taking all of that in. Everything you do, the way that you respond to people, the way that you respond to criticism, the way that you deal with a traumatic situation, the way that you deal with contention, the way that you compliment people, the way that you're you're mean to people potentially. <laughs> I'm not saying that you are, Charlotte. Um, but you know, everything, everything. We're teaching them numerous lessons on a daily basis through our behavior. That's not applying a pressure to you or any parent to be perfect because that's impossible, uh, it's ridiculous, but to be human and to um, to show them your successes, to also show them your small failures, um, your blips, the mistakes that we make. They're equally as relevant for them um, because they'll they'll see what you did, how you did it, they'll calibrate and, and, and actually one day maybe um, even adopt some of the things that they could see you did well And perhaps they'll know to avoid some of the things that you that you didn't do so well. So I think it makes the job far easier. It's like, wow, we can take a a load of pressure off ourselves. We can just keep doing everything that we know is good. We can keep being human. Mistakes are fine because actually, in some respects, they're really useful to them because it's data, it's feedback. It's a, you know, it's still rich kind of education for But in the absence of the pressure, which is where we usually go wrong, we are probably more likely to be the best version of ourselves, and you know, feeling free in our in our actions and and unrestricted and unlimited, you know. And this is exactly what we are as parents: is we are our children's first and most important insight into what adult life is like. You know, let's be a good training program for them. Let's uh, let's show them all the ins and outs, the uh, the ups and the downs, and uh, and then they'll know what to expect, won't they? It puts the uh, onus on your behaviour and your actions rather than, you know, what words, what pearls of wisdom can I impart on my kids today that they're just going to forget because it didn't mean anything to them in that particular moment? Less words, more actions, uh, more role models.
1: This is from Natalie. She says, It's a long one, but a dilemma I've been struggling with for quite a long time now. I'm Liverpoolian. my husband's from down south and we've been together 18 years and we've got two children. To start with, we lived in Liverpool before my partner's job meant that we had to move down south. It's great here. We've got a long established group of good friends nearby and the kids are in a great school. But I feel lonely. I miss my parents incredibly and they miss the kids as they are their only grandchildren. I miss my friends in Liverpool and cry when we leave after a visit. Do we uproot our lives again? Will I ever truly settle down south? I also worry a lot about if anything happens to my parents, if one of them becomes ill or worse. I feel as their only child that I should be closer to help as they grow older. I literally obsess about what to do every day and it's really getting me down. So any advice on this would be really appreciated.
0: Natalie, it's really interesting. Thank you very much. Um, I love the fact that you've really gone into detail as well because obviously this is a really difficult situation for you. Uh, made harder, obviously, by the by the admission, I think, that you obsess about what to do with where to live every day. That's a really massive thing to wrestle with and that would be really unsettling for you um, to consider this on a daily basis. And the kids will pick up on it. Your husband will pick up on it. I think for me, the interesting elements of what you've put to me is that some of us sometimes, especially we've been an only child, and I, I can really identify, not because I'm an only child, but Kate is, my, my wife. Um, and she she is particularly close to her parents, and she's also very mindful. Of, basically, one of her best mates lost her dad recently, and it really sent her into thinking about her own mum and dad's kind of mortality and the fact that, you know, one day she's going to have to cope with with losing them. And, you know, it's a difficult subject for any of us to think about. Uh, But if we do go down that path, then all of a sudden things start to get maybe a a little bit irrational um, in that if we scaled it back and if we took away the element of anxiety that you're experiencing around what might happen to to your parents, um, you know, you'd probably find it a little bit easier to be a little bit happier where you are. But because you're replaying that record on a daily basis, it's not it's not allowing you to settle, you know, with that, is there a compromise that can be had? Right. You like these aspects about being down South. Um, You miss these elements about being up North. You know, what's the compromise in terms of how often you can get up there. I know it would have been difficult in lockdown and I should bring that into the equation as well, because if you are judging the situation by the last 12 months, that that's obviously relevant to the lockdowns. So if that isn't the case for the foreseeable and obviously like everybody in the world hopes that it isn't, then you might be able to go back to a more frequent habit of seeing them that that might actually make you feel like, well, I'm seeing enough of my parents. Yes, I don't live around the corner to them, but I don't need to. Uh, If anything ever happened, I am ultimately a two hour, two and a half hour car journey away. A lot of us won't have been able to have seen our parents because they might have been vulnerable. Um, and that would obviously um mean that you feel the weight that you do. It would have restricted the chances for you to have seen them. You might not have seen them at all. Um, so no, no wonder you're feeling the weight that you are. Maybe in six months' time it would be better to come back to this this whole, should I move back up to Liverpool or, or stay down here? Because you will have seen them a number of times, and you will have maybe gone up every other weekend or or you know whatever is right for you and for the kids and for the family um so yeah don't don't be too quick to to feel like you need to make a decision today if you recognize that the pandemic has actually played a big part in making you obsess about what if something happens to the parents but like many of the situations that um that people put to me i can't. the complete answer, I can try and uh, give some perspective, I can try and talk about some of the options that you've got Um, but ultimately the answer a lot of the time will be you need to sit down and speak to a professional and unpick this because uh, from experience these things maybe only grow, Um, they don't necessarily just vanish one day when we wake up one morning Um, so you know you have the power to do something about that and you'll make a better decision if you are not um, you know, in a, in a state of obsession about something or, or anxiety. Um, you know, a decision can't be made based on those elements. Those elements need to be worked through first before a better decision can be made. I hope that's helpful.
1: This is Anonymous. I'm wondering whether we should normalise taking a break a bit more in a relationship, especially one that's not working, forcing ourselves to keep working through it.
0: Have we all done this a little bit? You know, I think we like to throw ourselves into um, finding a solution. Um, And and it's not really for anyone to say when enough is enough. That has to come from us. But do you know when enough is enough? Have you kind of thought about, right, well, how bad does it need to get or how toxic does it need to be before I actually hang my boots up and say, right, I'm going in a different direction? I, I guess I would always look at it this way, and that is that, We'll have issues. The other person will have issues. Um, I, I guess we have to look at our own and say, right, what am I bringing to the table that is unhelpful? What are they bringing to to the relationship that I find particularly difficult? Very often, it's not really a blame game, but sometimes it can be a combination of each other's defense mechanisms. You know, without getting technical, but it, it can be a, a combination of of where your issues meet their issues and what I've come to understand greatly because of my own therapy, certainly the relationship therapy that that my wife and I um, have had, which is brilliant by the way, is, is understanding how we've all got, let's call them landmines, right? And these are things that are there because we have been hurt in the past or something was difficult for us in childhood. And when someone um, steps on one of our landmines and triggers us, we explode. And obviously that's, you know, quite undesirable. And what I've learned to do and Kate has learned to do is we've learned to be really mindful of each other's triggers. So for me, it's unfairness. If you do something that upsets me and you don't say sorry or don't take ownership for it and, and actually responsibility, taking responsibility is a really big thing for me as well. I could write a list for you, uh, but there's two, and they're the main ones, I think. But yeah, so understanding how important these things are, and then understanding that for somebody else, saying sorry and actually holding their hands up might be might be their, their thing that's really difficult for them. And in fact, that was the, the case for Kate and I. Uh, so our combination of triggers was actually, it, it, it was awful. And I know that there's a lot of us doing that. <laughs> we don't realise, we don't know that, oh, we've got landmines, right? And we brought our landmines into the relationship. They existed long before this person come along. So now, you know, we've added a completely new layer of uh, awareness to, to how conflict arises within a relationship. I think you can look at that and be like, right, yeah, go on then, Jeff. What is my, what are my, you might have multiple, what are my landmines? What's my partner's landmines? Uh, What's the combination of them? And you can actually really salvage quite a lot by being like, right, okay, so if I find a compromise between the two, so it might be you know, for Kate using that example, she might not have necessarily needed to say sorry, but what she started with and what we were told to kind of say at the beginning, I'm sorry that you're upset. So the first thing would be, I'm sorry you're upset. And then they would say, this is how I feel. But there is instant kind of recognition and validation, and those things are vital to all of us. If someone has the ability to be interested in what they can do better, uh, and to want to delve into right, you know, what I understand, I'm not a perfect person. What what can I improve? What can I do differently, in order to not be as as much of a part of the problem as as maybe I am? Um, usually, we're we're an equal, you know, part, and that was certainly the case for Kate and I. But if you've got someone who is interested in being better, then I think that there is always hope, right? Whereas if you've got someone who is literally saying, no, it's not me, it's you, you need to do this and you need to do that. If there is a tone of inflexibility around them, then I will always say, well, that, that can't go anywhere because I can make all the improvements under the sun. But if you're still doing that one thing, that will always be difficult for me and that's when we pull out our boundaries isn't it and say well i can't do a lifetime of this so why why would i do another week of it oh <laughs> are often good i know we we had a few in our relationship and you know it it's one thing recognizing something and saying you can't do that anymore um but the reality is is that someone will need um time and support and and patience but as long as they are looking to be better and looking to improve that situation or looking to find a compromise between your stance and your map of the world and, and, and theirs, then there is always hope within a relationship. So I, I hope some of that will have helped, uh, but good luck and I hope it lasts.
1: This is from Emma. I've recently started fertility treatment. Hopefully in time we'll have a positive outcome. And I'm just wondering if you have any tips on how to live in the moment and not wish life away. I find myself in a place where I am constantly looking ahead for the day when hopefully I'll become pregnant. And it's as if I don't want to partake in life until that happens. A lot of family and friends are looking forward to coming out of lockdown, but I just can't feel excitement for life at the moment. I hope that makes sense.
0: I, am I, I'm thank you very much for your message. I, I completely hear you. Uh, it's really natural that you would feel this. And I I know others that have, that have described to me what it's like to be, you know, in the process of trying to conceive, you know, and not knowing what the future holds. Um, and I know that sometimes we can tell ourselves that unless it's the news that we want, unless we're successful in conceiving, Um, that actually life is not acceptable and and we can really make it harder for ourselves by making it feel like it's an all or nothing scenario. You know, if we just look into the detail of it, I don't think that it strengthens your chances of conceiving to put such pressure on it. I don't want to sound like I'm in any way criticizing you for having that mindset because you, like many others, become naturally fixated on what it is that you're trying to achieve. Who am I to turn around and say you're wrong for thinking that? Because I'd I'd actually imagine that it's it's natural that we would go to some really dark places. But right now, in this moment, you are in the process. So it should be about what is going to be the best mindset for you so that you can actually achieve what it is that you want. Can we look at all the things in your life that are good? that have absolutely nothing to do with this process of, of trying to conceive that you're currently really focused on. Let's take our focus away from that for a second. It won't ruin your chances or impair your chances to not be focused on it in this moment or every moment. Um, and let's just have a little think about, right, what are all the other things in life that are there now and will always be there and will always be things that we enjoy and, and that we really value? and just maybe write these things down and maybe have these things available to you so that if you're ever really feeling like you're slipping into a sense of fixation, then you can just claw your way back slightly by by reading them and reminding yourself that you've actually got a very valid life, you've got a wonderful existence and that we are lucky in so many other respects regardless of, of what happens here or not. That would be my, my advice to you. Well, thanks for some really good questions that have enabled us to cover quite a wide um, space within relationships and families. It's also made me think a lot about uh, my own situation. I mean, you can't get to your 40s and having brought up two boys in in a certain situation and, you know, and have that blended family element and grief. And, you know, it's just such a a rich vein of, uh, I, I suppose, experience that comes in useful. I generally try not to make the same mistake twice and um, I've pretty much made all the mistakes as far as family and relationships are concerned learning from the previous experience I think if we're someone that, that doesn't seem to be getting the pattern because there's always a pattern with us right everyone's got their pattern everyone's got their traits I know what mine was uh, for years I was rubbish at commitment and i get to three years in and I'd start to basically edge myself towards the door because I couldn't handle it. I couldn't handle the commitment. I couldn't handle how scary it sort of felt because of my childhood. Uh, I didn't really understand that that's what it was then. I just convinced myself that I was better off out of whatever the relationship was that I was in. But I was lying to myself and um, I'm grateful that I was someone that at least was was able to take responsibility for it. Um, someone that was able to, I guess, go and get the help that I required in order to not continuously, I think, make a victim of myself by acting out of, you know, the time in the past maybe when things weren't weren't necessarily great for me. So um, I didn't want to be my own worst enemy. I think a lot of our questions today have elicited responses from me. Um, that go to suggest just that is that how can we get out of our own way first and make sure that we're not our own worst enemy, and then we can worry about what everybody else is doing. I think it's always really important to look within first, then we can start looking outwards and and deciding whether maybe we're in the right relationship or maybe um doing as much as we can to ensure that our kids get on with with their stepmom or their stepdad. Oh, there's so much to this particular subject, but I really enjoy talking about it and always really happy to to share more about the things that I've struggled with in the past. Because the more you've struggled, I guess the more you've you've earned the right to not struggle in the future. It's not, not to say that we should look for struggles, uh, but let's face it, it's part of life. And uh, we've all had a big one for the last 12 months and we learn and we grow and hopefully we move forwards and we... Uh And we learn from these mistakes to the extent where we stop making them quite as much. And what are we left with? I think we're left with the fact that we maybe earned the right to know better, to do better, and to feel better. A podcast can only go so far. So if you've been affected by any of the issues we've discussed in this series, do please seek professional help or go to absoluteradio.co.uk forward slash time to listen. For details of some amazing organisations we work with who can help. Thanks for listening to this episode of Only Human. If you like what you've heard, then don't forget to follow to hear new episodes every Tuesday from Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Absolute Radio app, or wherever you get yours. You can also get in touch with your questions, concerns, or dilemmas by emailing me direct at Jeff at OnlyHumanPod.com. I'd love to hear from you.